The Guardian. This is Guardian Election Daily. Hello again, this is Mike White with the Guardian's Daily Election Podcast. And the huge racket you must be able to hear in the background is, believe it or not, the noise of, if not a church, then next to a church. We're in the Oasis Centre in Kennington Road, South London, about a mile from uh, the Palace of Westminster. Why are we here? David Cameron's going to make a big speech on the broken society, so we're told. And the noise is that of a very crowded audience pulled in here uh, because it's also the HQ of Ian Duncan Smith's Centre for Social Justice. I must say, it's more packed than most churches on an average uh, Sunday. It's full of activists. They seem cheerful. The sun is shining. There are lots of hacks here as well because uh, Mr Cameron is uh, off to the north of England campaigning later in the day. Anyway, that's what we're waiting for. Is it a marginal seat? I thought you'd never ask. No, it blooming isn't. It's Kate Hoey's Vauxhall constituency. She had, I looked it up this morning, 52.9% of the vote last time. That's well over half. So she'd even win this seat first time under Gordon Brown's proposal for electoral reform, AV, where you've got to get more than half of the votes. So it's a Labour stronghold, this one. Most unlikely to change, and the Lib Dems come second anyway. But I'm not going to pretend that the broken society was born under this Labour government, but I do believe that after 13 years, it is reasonable for us to evaluate the effectiveness in dealing with our big social problems. Because the evidence, as well as the instincts, shows that our social problems are actually getting worse, not better. The poorest are getting poorer. Social mobility has stalled. Teenage pregnancy is the worst in Europe. Levels of family breakdown are some of the highest in Europe. Violence against the person has risen since Labour came to power. Drug offences are up 70%. There are now 10,000 incidents of antisocial behaviour every day. One in six children grow up in a home where nobody works. These are astonishing statistics. And what makes them more astonishing is that for the past decade, the state has been hyperactive in its attempts to deal with them. And we need better education to show those kids out there that there is another world. And we need proper rehabilitation so that those kids that do go off the rails don't stay off those rails forever. But we do need discipline because we need to show that there's a right and there's a wrong. And if you choose to do wrong, you can't be allowed to get away with it. David Cameron uh, made a great deal there of Brooke Kinsella's uh, misfortune, uh, losing her brother uh, in a knife murder. Horrible thing to happen to anybody. Uh, and she was sort of feisty and independent. We rather liked her. But the interesting thing is not simply that the state has failed, more it's why the state has failed. I believe part of the reason is because the state, monolithic, inhuman, clumsy, often distant, more often than not only treats the symptoms of our social problems rather than the causes. So, for instance, its main response to rising poverty and severe poverty is more and more redistribution with means-tested benefits and tax credits. Its main response to crime is just passing another law or another criminal justice act. Now, let me be clear, we will keep tax credits, but this approach in which big government deals only with the symptoms of our social problems uh, is nearing the limits of its effectiveness, to put it politely. Okay, David Cameron's just finished. He 
Spoke for about uh, 20 minutes, uh, rather fast, I thought. Uh, took questions for 10, mainly from members of the audience. A good final question from a vicar who said, all this talk of responsibility among the poor, uh, when are you going to impose similar mutuality, responsibility and self-discipline among the rich? And uh, Cameron said, quite right too, but it was a very small spot of his speech. Chandila Fernando, approved candidate, Conservative Party. He's very active. I see him all over the place. What did you think of that? Uh, quite hard-hitting, from the heart. This seems a fairly well-scrubbed audience, including you. You're very smartly turned out in a white shirt and tie. Where have they all come from? Do you know? Uh, you've got a real mix. You've got some people who are involved with the social justice. You've got lots of other non-profit organisations. Some people from Tory HQ, some people from the Tory list, and then just generally members of the public as well. What do you do for a living? I run an advertising agency. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Ian Duncan Smith, I was here four years ago, almost to the day somebody's just reminded me for the launch of one of your first big policy initiatives here at the Centre for Social Justice. Um, one of your colleagues today said we've made more than 200 recommendations in what was it? 20, 600. 600 in 20 reports. But does the present government or the government in waiting led by your party leader, David Cameron, are they going to take a notice? Are they taking much? I get the impression they're not. Your remedies are too expensive. Well, actually, not really. Um, the, uh, if you look at our website, you'll find that Gordon Brown has adopted, I think, something close to around 30 of our recommendations, and Cameron's on around 70 or 80. So, so there's a good start. We've been following those too. Perhaps we should now be tracking Nick Clegg as well. But the reality for us is that I don't mind... Uh, generally, I want the Conservative Party to win the government. But actually, from the Centre for Social Justice standpoint, we've invited the other two leaders to come and speak because actually I want this to be an issue in the election and I want all parties to sign up to the idea that mending social breakdown is hugely about engaging the sort of people you saw here and helping support them much more than we do. Listening to uh, David Cameron again today as I did in a similar speech a few weeks ago, you're struck by the paradox that he wants to get government off people's back and uh, unleash those sort of forces of, of voluntary and mutual society. On the other hand it requires government action and quite often a lot of government money up front to get these things going, doesn't it? Uh, well, of course, it, this is about helping those organisations to play their full part by bidding for government contracts, for local government contracts, but also giving them a fair deal, no longer the one-year contract which you wouldn't give to a commercial firm. But there are other things too. We've made a lot of recommendations that show that there are ways, for example, of reforming the benefit system. Uh, it was actually an interesting report we produced last year shows that the present benefit system soaks up huge amounts of money which are wasted. I'll give you one example. I think HMRC uh, said last year they actually overpaid in tax credits something like £11 billion. So the system itself actually wastes money which doesn't go to help anybody. So when you say it costs money, actually there's a huge amount in the system that once reformed will be able to deliver to these people without you spending any more money. I'm right in thinking that tax credits are designed to make worth wor work worthwhile for the working poor yeah. and uh, however complicated it is, to some extent, it works in those terms, even though overpayments and yeah. foolish things happen. Am I right there? Yeah, there are, mis <coughs> there are problems with tax credits, which you'll find in the book that we talked about, insofar that, that what's going on at the moment, for the very poorest who are entering work for the first time, until they get to full-time work, they can suffer some of the highest marginal tax rates of anybody. You know, that's take the withdrawal of benefits. That's exactly they don't right. pay tax, these well, people. No, they are not uh, taxes, because, of <coughs> because if you have a sum of money, and you go into work and you lose a large proportion of that, it equates in some cases to 70%. You know, single parents working either side of 16 hours can lose up to 90 pence in the pound. That's the disincentive goes. You've got travel to work costs. So we say the reform is actually to ease that back to allow them to retain more of that for longer until they get towards the full-time work, giving people the work habit. Now, that actually was welcomed by Labour as well as by some Conservatives. And so we think there are big reforms that would get more people into work, get them the work habit. And that's 
what we're talking about before. In terms of the struggle you're getting to promote your agenda, what's the most positive thing that's happened to you in the last year? What's the thing which has made you say, I am making progress? Well, that uh, all the political parties have had to come to the table to start talking about some key issues. And well, the, probably the best area was when I went to see all party leaders with Graham Allen, the Labour MP, joint work we're doing on early intervention, which for me has become an obsession. If we can get all party leaders to recognise early investment in some of the most dysfunctional families yields phenomenal results five and ten years later on for those families in education, crime and in worklessness and in health, uh, then if we can persuade them, and we've persuaded all of them to agree that early intervention is important, big travel for the Conservatives, as you know, who are not very keen on this, and also big travel for the Liberals. So we've got that. So if you want to know, it was coming together with Graham Allen to do this joint work about a year and a half to two years ago that I think was perhaps the biggest personal moment for me. Thank you, Ian Duncan Smith. Like all candidates knocking on doorsteps in the spring, he's got a nice suntan, he's looking very well. And the background noise was young people putting away all the folding chairs as this meeting ends. Thank you. Nice smile. What do you think of that? Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought... Um, um, you sound a bit guarded there. This is a time when many promises are being given. And it's also a time when we know that resources are um, limited. They're going and, to get more limited, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and um, what we really need to see where there is huge disadvantage is an investment in more than just um, human resources. In order to make a difference, people do need... They, 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 um, funding is needed, and so how you match the promises with um, the commitment after May the 6th is the interesting... What do you do for a living? Um, um, I, I'm di- oh, I'll give you one of these. I'm, I'm director of a human rights campaigns group. It's called Black Mental Health UK. It's one of the most disadvantaged groups within society. So this is South London or more nationwide? Um, well, it's we're based in South London, but it is nationwide. You're getting a leaflet, yeah. yeah, this is, this is our manifesto. It's very, very grassroots. Oh, I've heard about you, yes. Oh, really? Have you? Oh, no, you asked a very interesting question right at the end. Could you introduce yourself? I'm William Taylor. I'm the Anglican vicar of St Thomas's, which is a, a parish in northeast Hackney in Stamford Hill. And you said, in effect, the need for discipline and mutuality and responsibility among the poor and the uh, less well-off. How about it in the uh, people at the top of society? What was behind that rather pertinent question? Well, I think there's, there, there is... With any, within any concept of social justice, it's about bringing people together and recognising their bonds and mutuality. The problem is that we have more, more and more rich people that don't feel part of the big society. And the, if um, there is a Conservative government, I would say it would be their equal challenge to bring the very rich into the big society as it is bringing the very poor into the big society and they and you know government has the power of the state to bring about legislation and there are some things that only the state can do and obviously we need to encourage a spirit of um, mutual responsibility and discipline and all Did the other feel things. feel that his answer was satisfactory? He was quite happy to say, yes, there has been irresponsible behaviour among bankers, but it wasn't much of his speech I when didn't. he talked about the broken society. I wasn't, I wasn't completely convinced uh, by what he said. No, I, I felt that there was more, there's more to do, there's more to say. But, you know, I'm, I'm listening to what he has to say. I'm listening to what all the parties have to say about this. You were listening there intently. Was there yes, anything was. you wanted to say? I, I, I want to look at the rigour and responsibility of government as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, from the point, my point of view, I work hands-on with the very vulnerable when they can't pay their rent, their council tax and their fines. Whereabouts in Britain is this? It's the Chaos 2000 Trust. We do it in London and we also train people throughout the UK. I, um, I'm very concerned because the unemployment benefit for a single child is adult aged 18 to 25 is £51.85 a week. 
The Joseph Rountree Foundation minimum food standard is £43. So survival is already difficult enough uh, for a young person who's got no other assets and is totally unemployed. But then they stop the income and how do they expect them to survive then? I've worked in court with people who, um, who don't have any money to pay the fine, which was inevitable because they didn't have any income. It's a vicious circle which government is responsible for. Did you get anything, any inkling of Mr Cameron's uh, response to the a very precise question which you've raised there? Are you clearer now about what a Cameron no, no, government might do? not. But neither am I clear of the Labour Party or the Dems either. Uh, Cameron also put a lot of stress on crime in general and the fear of crime. How true is all this? We asked The Guardian's resident expert, Home Affairs correspondent Alan Travis. While the debate has raged over whether or not violent crime is going up or down in this country, ever since about 2002, when the police changed the basis on which they uh, recorded the uh, violent crime, police recorded crime, crime figures, to an effect which has, was, has inflated the figures by about 45-50%, which made it impossible to compare today's police recorded violent crime figures with those that were published in 1997. But the Conservatives say they have preferred the police recorded violent crime measure and they acknowledged that there were difficulties because of this change in the way the figures uh, were calculated and recorded since 2002 and so they asked the House of Commons Library researchers too and the House of Commons Library came up and said with the figure that there had been a 44% increase in violent crime once they'd stripped out the changes that took place in the year 2002-2003. But I think the explanation may be found in another paragraph of the House of Commons Library Research Report, which added that their calculations only applied to the effects for one year of these changes in recording. Probably uh, violent crime has fallen uh, on the two most reliable measures that we have, the British Crime Survey and the hospital data. And on top of that, we know that uh, the murder rate, which is counted separately, uh, has uh, fallen and is now at its lowest level for a decade. It's gone down to about 650 homicides in the last year that figures reported 08-09. So in those terms, we probably do live in a less violent society now than it was in about 1995. The Guardian's Alan Travis there. Cameron delayed his speech a few minutes because Labour's press conference, a very lively one, Ed Balls and Peter Mandelson, was still going on. And, of course, they're all competing for time on the 24-7 TV news channels. Well, good morning, everyone. There's been a lot of talk over the last uh, couple of days about coalitions. Uh, It's hot air, speculation taking the place of what the public want to hear, which is proper policy debate. However, I am prepared to talk about one coalition, a real one, a dangerous one, and that's a coalition of cuts for our kids, because both the Tories and the Liberal Democrats are very clear on their plans to cut uh, support for families with children. The interesting thing is, I've set out the details of the cuts I'm going to make. All Michael Gove and David Cameron can do is just talk about waste. And people know that waste means people's jobs being lost. And um, if you cut £6 billion this year, which we will not do um, from public spending, that would mean thousands of teachers and teaching assistants laid off, and I think that would be the wrong thing to do. 
Meanwhile, uh, John Dennis has gone down to Brighton Pavilion where the Greens are hoping to snatch their first Westminster seat. It's a three, possibly a four-way marginal Comlab Green and Lib Dem. John has been hearing from bemused voters. I'm in North Lane, the fashionable heart of Brighton, a magnet for hipsters and bohemians with its narrow streets packed with vegetarian calves and vintage clothing shops. David Lepper, the local Labour MP, is retiring from Parliament and Labour are now running third in local polls. The Greens have strong support here. They've got 13 councillors in Brighton and Hove, but the Tories candidate, Charlotte Veer, hopes to give Caroline Lucas, the Green Party leader, a run for her money. Let's find out from some shoppers and shop owners how they're planning to vote green party because brighton's the only place where they're likely to get a place in and it'd be nice to have someone in parliament who is not the others but um i mean one green mp wouldn't make that much difference would it uh, no not exactly but at least they would be able to get voices heard and bring up questions that wouldn't normally be brought up in parliament <laughs> I mean, and can I ask you, um, you're, you run this um, second-hand book and magazine shop here. Um, how has the recession affected your business? It's affected everyone, hasn't it? Especially at the moment, I think everybody's holding power until the uh, election's over, until they see how much money they've got to be wanted. And which party do you think would be best for small businesses like yours? Well, I think the Conservatives. We've had 13 years of the others, and look at it, they break the country. Do you know who you're going to be voting for? Uh, Labour. Why Labour? Um, so I believe they've got the right policies for Brighton and, and nationally. Because uh, here in Brighton, the Greens stand a good chance of getting an MP elected. Caroline Lucas, you're not tempted to vote for her? Tempted, but I'm thinking more along national lines. We probably go Labour, to be honest, but then, I don't know, part of me wants to go Green. But the, is the prospect of a, of a Conservative MP something that you'd, uh, you'd welcome? Definitely not. Why is that? Because <laughs> I can't bear David Cameron. But the Conservative candidate is talking about helping small businesses. You, you work in this, this vintage clothing shop here, do you? Yeah. Do you think it would make a difference who wins the election to your business? I'm not sure how, how it will really affect us overall. I mean, I would go Green... But um, I think for the country, we, I don't think they're strong enough to run the country for us. And I, I think we're in such a bad position at the moment. We're going to go for um, uh, Clegg. Yeah, OK. Good but luck to him. On the basis of the first TV debate? That pretty much what it caught us unawares. We had it on whilst we were packing and we thought, good on you, we'll go for it. Well, it's quite interesting because here in, in Brighton Pavilion uh, constituency, the Greens' Caroline Lucas uh, stands a chance of winning. First Green MP, I mean, that's quite exciting, no? It's exciting, but um, I don't think it's going to happen nationwide. Right, so it's not going to change the world. It's not going to change the world, whereas the Lib Den proportional representation thing should change the world a little bit. Yeah, do you know which way you're going to be voting? Green, probably. Why, why green? Because I'm very up for saving the environment. I normally do vote Green Party, if I'm honest, but um, I haven't actually read all of their kind of their things or what they're planning to do. Some of them sound a bit unrealistic, getting minimum wage £8 an hour. I've always been a Labour voter, personally, but... Um, I'm very anti like, the yeah. war, uh, wars. Yeah. And it'd um, be good if uh, the Liberals could get a chance, I think. Are you going to be voting in Brighton? Probably vote Labour. What, what, <laughs> why Labour? They're more the working class, really, aren't they? They're not really. As a working person, I think they're probably better for me. 
And the Conservatives are someone. Nuclear disarmament is my latest worry. <laughs> I've now decided Nick Clegg worried me last week when he wanted to disarm us. I think I will probably stick with Labour, although there's a part of me that's so wants change that... It, but I don't want to leap all the way over to Conservatives. OK, and can I ask you, sir, um, have you made your mind up yet? Oh, I've made it a long time. I'm a green man. Yeah. So are you a green man? I'm, I'm, well, no, I'm from The Guardian, so I'm just trying to find oh, out... Find out. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Very yeah. yeah. bright, Dad, very bright. <laughs> Thank you for your time. OK, thank you. John Dennis in Brighton. Well, there you are. All three parties are anxious to get away from a sterile debate about what a hung parliament might mean, getting back to talking about policy. David Cameron choosing to go big on uh, the big society. It was the theme, if you remember, of his campaign launch, but it hasn't really got off. It had hardly been mentioned in the TV debates, and it's all, I think, a bit airy-fairy and a bit abstract. And uh, listening to him today, I thought myself, just as I did when he first made this speech a month or so ago, well, it isn't really a big government, overpowerful uh, uh, states, which is the problem at the moment. It's big markets, it's broken markets, it's the way the bankers behave, the way that supermarkets uh, sell young families with not much money, food full of sugar and salt. That's what helps make their kids uh, 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 antisocial in their conduct. And I didn't really feel uh, Mr. Cameron addressed this, but it was a good speech. He spoke too fast, in my opinion. Didn't emotionally connect with the audience, but they liked him, they were keen for him to win, and uh, he handled the questions well. He always does. We'll be back tomorrow. Hope you join us again. This is me, Mike White. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.